0: natural md radio your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now i'm dr aviva Ron. Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Aviva Ram at Natural MD Radio, and it's such a pleasure to have you back today. We're going to continue a conversation that we started in episodes 102 and 103, talking about cervical health. If you've been given an HPV diagnosis, or you've been told that you have precancerous cervical changes, or cervical dysplasia, there's a good chance you're freaking out. It's a scary thing to hear, and often the information isn't delivered with the whole picture, namely that most HPV infections clear up on their own, and even most precancerous lesions resolve spontaneously with infinitesimal risk that they will progress to cervical cancer. That said, cervical cancer does affect about 12,000 women in the United States each year and takes the lives of just over 4,000. Now, most of these cases of cervical cancer are in older women who had not had proper PAP or HPV testing to detect early changes, so these progress to cancer. But each year, hundreds of thousands of women will receive a diagnosis, if you will, that they have had a bad PAP or they're positive for HPV. Now, in the recent episodes of Natural MD Radio and the corresponding blogs, which I give you as the transcript, if you will, I gave you all the details you need to understand what HPV is and how to make sense of test results. If you go over to avivaram.com forward slash 104, you'll find all the transcript in the form of a blog for today's episode, as well as links. Back to those previous episodes, if you're still a little uncertain about what HPV is or what pap smear results mean, or if you're just tuning in today as your first episode, welcome to Natural MD Radio, you can have a look back or a listen back at those um, articles or the podcast so that you can get a better sense of grounding on what the significance of these is and how to make sense of it all. Today, we're going to talk about what's possible in the world of natural medicine approaches. Now, the bottom line is that when it comes to your cervical health, you don't want to mess around. and appropriate conventional follow-up for your testing and treatment, if it's necessary, are absolutely essential with HPV and all cervical changes, and they're part of a safe, healthy, integrative approach. But I'd like to share what's known from a scientific and medical perspective about the natural approaches that have been researched with some promising results that you might want to use, not as a substitute for appropriate treatment and follow-up, but while waiting to do follow-up testing, which is usually a year after your initial testing, and things that you can do to support your cervical health. So with HPV or a bad PAP, is a wait and watch approach enough? In most cases of mild to moderate cervical changes, we're told to wait and repeat testing in a year. Sometimes additional follow-up testing is done immediately, but even when that's necessary, the verdict usually remains the same if that testing isn't significantly abnormal, in which in most cases it won't be, again, to retest in a year. This is an absolutely medically legitimate approach, and if you're comfortable with that, you can stop listening right now, no harm, no foul, hit, hit pause, and just wait a year to get your follow-up testing. But there are a few questions that we might ask ourselves. Is there more that we can do in the interim instead of carrying that small or large nagging anxiety in the back of our minds until that retest rolls around and you're, you know, that could be in a, a year from now's calendar? What if you have chronic HPV and want to do something about that now? Are there any root causes associated with HPV or cervical changes that you can be proactive about addressing to increase the likelihood that you'll only have positive tests going forward? That's exactly what my patient Katie wanted to know when she came to see me. At 32, her doctor told her that she had mild cervical dysplasia. Further testing showed that she was positive for HPV. She told her to wait and watch, and if her follow-up testing was positive, she'd need a colposcopy and possibly cervical biopsy. Now, Katie had already been struggling to get pregnant for a couple of years at this point, and the idea of waiting was very stressful for her, and the idea of doing something like a cervical biopsy that she had read up on and found out could lead to more scarring of her cervix and further interfere with fertility seriously added to her anxiety about the whole situation. She talked with a friend, and a friend had heard about me and told her to come see me, and so she did. In my practice, I believe that there is a role for a supportive approach to restoring cervical health. Because mild cervical dysplasia and HPV both have such high rates of spontaneous regression, which I give you all the details on in the previous podcast episodes, This means that they clear on their own most of the time simply by waiting. You don't actually have to feel like you have to do anything special right now, but it's certainly an option. And like Kate, most women who come to see me or reach out to me through social media have concerns and want to actually do something proactive. Also, there is the risk, even though it's low that in a year's time, those cervical changes will have progressed or the HPV won't have cleared and reverted and that they become chronic problems. So in my personal opinion, as a medical doctor and midwife specializing specializing in women's health and natural medicine, I feel like why not take the initiative and be preemptive with safe approaches. It's still absolutely important, as I said, to follow up with appropriate cervical screening per the recommended guidelines that I share with you in the previous episodes, episodes 102 and 103. But being hands-on and preemptive can give you help in addressing some of the possible underlying causes of chronic HPV, cervical changes, and known susceptibilities to cervical cancer, which can only improve your overall wellness. I look at it as what are the root causes that we know and what are the, some of the roots we can thereby take to cervical health. And in my research, I've identified four primary root areas to consider when it comes to addressing the factors that can possibly contribute to cervical changes or persistent HPV infection and even cervical cancer. Addressing these may be a supportive route to restoring optimal cervical health, preventing chronic HPV, and reduce the risk of progression to cervical cancer. The four routes that I've identified are the nutrient connection, inflammation and oxidative damage, stress and immunity, and the vaginal microbiome. So let's take a look at these together in that order. First, the nutrient connection. We know from numerous studies, both international studies from the World Health Organization and studies done every couple of years in the United States by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention called the NHANES studies, that most women in the United States are actually significantly low, if not deficient, in a number of important nutrients, and many, of these nutrients are especially important for optimal immunity and cervical health. For example, studies have found that many women are low in uh, folate, vitamin A, selenium, vitamin D, and B12, all of which have been shown to have an important role in preventing cervical cancer. Therefore, why not make sure you're getting enough of these in your diet by getting ideally eight to 10 servings of brightly colored fruits and veggies every day with an emphasis on organic leafy greens and berries. Organic is important because of the high number of pesticides in these. In fact, a recent study found that kale was a major harbor of, um, of pesticides and herbicides from agriculture when it's not organic. And berries are a known big contaminant. So organic whenever you can. And leafy greens and berries are particularly important when it comes to fruits and veggies because they are powerhouses of chemical constituents called phytochemicals, which in addition to the nutrients they contain are very important categories of chemicals that act as what has been classically called antioxidants in the body, and we're gonna talk more about that in a minute. So it's really important to make sure that you're getting these from your diet, but also for women who already have cervical changes or HPV, supplementation could be really important. So let's talk about these in a little bit more detail. Let's start with folate. Folate is a B vitamin and it's naturally present in numerous foods. Your body needs folate to make DNA and other genetic material. Your body also needs folate for your cells to properly divide. Now, what's really significant here is when you have cervical changes, it's usually the virus, the HPV virus has caused a genetic mutation in your cells and is altering the normal ability of your cells to properly divide and also interferes with a process called apoptosis. Apoptosis is what is known as naturally programmed cell death. So our cells are constantly uh, being generated and dying. And what happens is when the genetic material in a cell over time becomes faulty, that cell naturally self-destructs, sort of like Mission Impossible. It's done, it's, you know, that tape in the beginning that self-destructs, or maybe it's something else now, not a tape anymore. You can tell I just dated myself, but whatever device is used that gives the message. So when it self-destructs, that is something that happens all the time. What happens with cell changes that are on the pathway to cancerous cells is that the cell mutation, the virus that's causing the cell mutation in this case, is so slick with its programming, that it hijacks your own apoptosis. So you can get these damaged cells that become immortal. They don't die. And so then they proliferate and you've got these damaged cells proliferating. And that is what cancer actually is. So folate helps your body to maintain that healthy DNA, and maintain that healthy genetic material. And again, that's why the importance in cell division is so significant. Now, folate is the form that comes in plants. Folic acid is the synthetic form that you find in fortified foods and most dietary supplements. And as such, both of these play an important role in cervical health. In one study, a group of 58 women with cervical dysplasia that was seen on colposcopy, and it's, it was categorized as something called CIN1, cervical intraepithelial neoplasia 1, these women were aged 8 to 58 years old, and they were enrolled in a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled study, which means it was a good, solid scientific study, and they were divided into two groups. For six months, half of the women, so half of the 58 women received five milligrams a day of a folate supplement. And the other half, the other group of women received a placebo. So an inactive uh, substance other than when you believe in it. A great percentage of women in the folate group, in fact, 83.3% had their CIN1 completely regress, whereas only 52% in the placebo group had it regress. And blood levels confirmed that there was an association with the higher folate levels in the blood of the women who had this regress. So it was correlated high folate in others, higher folate, so healthy folate levels, in other studies have also been associated with significantly lower risk of CIN1, especially when B12 levels were also normal in those women. Now, this is important because vegans are commonly low in B12. Vegans often are getting a lot of plant matter, so a lot of vegetables and fruit in the diet, so maybe getting enough folate, but maybe low in B12, and the combination of the two is especially significant. A simple blood test can be done for each either B12 uh, or an even more accurate test is for something called MMA, methylmalonic acid. And that gives you an earlier indication that your B12 is low before the B12 level even shows that it's low. And those can be done by any licensed medical professional. So super easy to do if you are concerned that you might be low in B12. Now, there's an association between something called the MTHFR SNP. It's a gene that I talk about in another episode of of Natural MD Radio. If you go to avivaram.com forward slash 104, that'll bring you to the blog associated with the podcast I'm sharing with you now. And if you go down, you'll find the link where it says MTHFR C677T. If you're not familiar with that is and wonder whether you have it, you can go learn more about that at that blog or podcast. But anyway, When you have this particular variation in your genes, which about 40% of people have uh, two variations and about, I'm sorry, 40% of people have one variation and about 10 to 20% have two variations in this particular gene, that interferes with your body's ability to use folic acid from supplements and folate from your diet. And that inability to use those has been found to be an important contributor in many cancers, likely due to the issues that I talked with you about, cell division, but also because it plays an important role in detoxification and cellular repair. Now, there was a meta-analysis, meaning somebody looked at really big, good qualified studies, about the relationship between this particular genetic change, the MTHFR. And if you look at it, it's gonna look like something a lot of New Yorkers say when they're pissed off or maybe excited about something. They looked at 12 studies and the relationship between this particular gene alteration and cervical cancer. And they actually did not find a correlation specifically. However, the researchers didn't discount the possibility of an important relationship. And given the relationship of folate and folic acid and cervical cancer being so significant, the relationship between this genetic change and other cancers, in my practice, when I have a woman who comes in with cervical changes, I do use as an automatic protocol five milligrams a day of methylfolate. Now, methylfolate is a form of the folic acid or folate that bypasses the problem with the genetic variation. So it'd be a little bit like if you were trying to take a a bus or let's say a subway. If you were trying to take a subway from station A to station C, but station B is broken, you can't get there on that subway. So you have to take a train, uh, you have to take an Uber or a taxi and bypass that station Right? You have to take another form of transportation that bypasses that broken um, station. And that's what methylfolate does, is it bypasses the part that your body can't utilize. So methylfolate resolves that problem. And if you have this gene change, even if you don't have cervical changes, I recommend in my practice that all women with that gene change take... 800 micrograms of methylfolate a day. And again, you can learn more by going over to the link in the blog underneath this um, episode of the podcast over on my website at avivaram.com forward slash 104. I only use the higher dose as part of a cervical treatment plan um, and for some other conditions as well. For example, um, moderate to severe depression, there's also an indication there. Now, you can also get more folate in your diet by increasing your intake of leafy green Vegetables and also interestingly, beans have it. You can get more B12 in your diet if you include fish, meat, poultry, eggs, dairy products, or nutritional yeast, but if you're a vegan, you're not going to get enough from nutritional yeast to really give you the blood levels you need for optimal health, which is also important not just for your cervical health, but for your nervous system. So if you're a vegan, I recommend supplementing um, daily. Now, to supplement methylfolate, it's five milligrams a day. For vitamin B12, it's 1,000 micrograms a day taken sublingually. And again, all this information is written out for you so you don't have to be writing it down or if you're on your run feeling like, oh my gosh, I want to remember all this and I'm not going to when I get home. It's all there for you if you're driving in the car. All right. So we've talked about folate, methylfolate, folic acid. Let's talk about beta carotene. Vitamin A appears to have a really important impact on cervical health and the development of cervical cancer. Vitamin A is very important for cellular immunity. In one major scientific review evaluating 11 articles on dietary vitamin A and four articles on blood level of vitamin A for a total of over 12,000 participants, higher dietary vitamin A intake and or higher blood levels of vitamin A were inversely associated with the risk of cervical cancer. So better vitamin A levels or better vitamin A intake, lower risk of cervical cancer. In one study, though, of 191 women with cervical cancer and 191 women of the same age who did have cervical cancer, there was no association between dietary vitamin A and cervical cancer risk. However, dietary intake of beta-carotene, which is a pre-form of vitamin A, was strongly related to a lower risk of cervical cancer. In fact, women with higher beta-carotene levels or intake in their diet seem to have about half the risk of cervical cancer. In yet another study, increased beta-carotene in the diet reduced the risks of pre-invasive cervical cancer. That's the kind that shows up as mildly abnormal cervical cells on your pap smear but not on invasive cervical cancer, but that's the much more rare kind. So what we know is that it's not clear whether vitamin A or just beta carotene have the beneficial protective role, but there's... Clearly, a beneficial role with with uh, in some studies with one and some studies with the other. So, what I recommend all the women in my practice to do, and certainly for you and for myself, is to make sure that we're getting ample sources of beta carotene in our diets. And the top sources are carrots, broccoli, cantaloupe, and squash. Overall, you want to aim though for six to eight servings of leafy greens orange and yellow vegetables, because those are the richest, If you leafy greens, orange and, and yellow vegetables are the richest in vitamin A of all the food and vegetable sources, and tomatoes, interestingly. So if you like tomatoes, that's a good source of vitamin A. Now, if you want to supplement, which is definitely what you're going to need to do if you already have cervical changes, you want to get a multivitamin that has a complement of vitamin A as well as beta carotene. And you want to look for a supplement that has beta carotene at about 3,000 micrograms a day. Now, folate at 800 micrograms, up to two grams a day, is safe if you are uh, in preconception or get pregnant. Too high a dose of vitamin A uh, when you get pregnant can be problematic and cause actually um, malformations in in the baby. So you don't want to exceed really about two to 4,000 units of vitamin A a day. But the beta carotene is fine. And, and I'm talking from a supplement. Diet, no problem. You get as, tons of it from your diet. But as a supplement, you want to be careful. So if you're in preconception, you're treating for cervical dysplasia, like Katie, she was wanting to get pregnant. Then when you do get pregnant, you want to make sure that you're not getting more than a daily recommended units of vitamin A, which is what would be in your prenatal. So switch to a prenatal at that point, but you can get, um, you can get this 3000 micrograms of, um, beta carotene. That is fine. So we talked about nutritional contributors and overall, you want to think about a diet, you know, Eight to ten servings of vegetables a day sa- and fruit sounds like a lot, but if you think about it this way, if you do a green drink in the morning, you're gonna get about four servings of, of vegetables. If you add an apple to it, um, you're gonna you know get a serving of fruit in it. So I actually give you a recipe over on the corresponding blog to this podcast for a lemony, gingery green drink. That is absolutely delicious. So it's at forward slash 104. You'll find it. So if you think about it that way, you know, get a green drink in the morning. That's three or four servings a day in, in your day already. Have a good salad for lunch. That's another three or four servings of vegetables. If you have, you know, a couple of cups of good green lettuce. I'm not talking iceberg. I'm talking about leafy, you know, um, green leaf or romaine or red leaf and, you know, half of a red pepper, some cucumber, et cetera. You've got a really nice another three or four servings of vegetables if it's a good size bowl of salad and then get some greens and a sweet potato for dinner you've gotten 8 to 10 servings right there, half a cup or a cup of blueberries. You've gotten all those good phytochemical-rich berries that are helping your immune system and helping detoxify and helping inflammation. You've done it. It's not really that hard. You have to just be mindful to do that every day. But as I said, if you've already got cervical changes or HPV, you want to supplement in addition. So let's talk about the second the second of the root causes that I mentioned, and that's inflammation and oxidative stress. Inflammation is your body's way of protecting itself from infection, illness, or injury. As part of the inflammatory response, your body increases its production of white blood cells, other immune cells, and substances called cytokines that help fight infection. The problem with inflammation is when it gets out of control. It's a bit like a fire. When it's in your fireplace, it's perfect. It keeps you warm. It's cozy. It's wonderful. It creates ambiance. But if that fire gets out of your fireplace, it's a big problem. And, you know, If it gets into your home, your home is burning down. Now, numerous factors increase inflammation, most notably a diet high in refined carbs and sugar and ultra processed foods, too much meat and too little fruit and vegetables. And I'm not saying you have to be vegan or vegetarian, but keeping meat to more of a complement in your diet than, you know, an eight ounce or eighteen ounce porterhouse steak, you know, two chicken breasts every day, all that kind of stuff. It gets too much. It really should be a small amount of the diet. Like four to six ounces once at most, twice a day. Um, And really, you know, good quality, low mercury fish, really important. And getting two little fruits and vegetables, low nutrient intake, because you need nutrients, like I shared with you, of even the ones we just talked about, that help fight inflammation because they help with providing protection for your cells and your DNA. And also exposure to environmental toxins, which we all get every single day, all adds to our inflammation, as well as chronic stress and lack of good sleep, which I know many of you are thinking, yep, that sounds like me. And that's just the top of the list. So those are some of the things that contribute to inflammation. Oxidative stress, like inflammation, is also a natural process. But like inflammation, when it's out of control, meaning in this case, when there's an imbalance of what are called free radicals compared to antioxidants in the body, cell and tissue damage can occur. Further, oxidative stress leads to inflammation and inflammation causes oxidative stress and all of this causes cellular damage in a vicious cycle. Okay, so how does this all relate to cervical health? Well. Our bodies are one interconnected, interconnected organism, and inflammation and oxidative stress can also alter cellular cervical health and make your cervical cells more vulnerable. In fact, studies have shown that increased inflammation and oxidative stress can result in higher concentrations of HPV in the cervical and vaginal fluids, which then make the cervical cells more vulnerable to damage. What is one of the biggest causes of oxidative stress that has been one of the highest um, contributing factors to cervical cancer? Cigarette smoking. So if you're a cigarette smoker, I know it's a really, really tough addiction to quit and I fully empathize. You definitely want to get help if cervical health and overall health is your goal. So hypnosis, you know, being aware that it can take many times to quit, but really working with someone who can help you shift that is super important. You can, it's almost impossible to create cervical health if you are a cigarette smoker. So keep that in mind. And that's also because of this oxidative stress. So it's super important to take an overall approach to reducing inflammation and oxidative stress. And here are the biggies that can really help eliminating all ultra-processed foods, refined sugar and carbs from your diet. And seriously, this sounds so simple, but they can be a major cause of inflammation. And an elimination diet is a great way to get started and can also help you identify your own personal food triggers. And then, as I said, getting eight to 10 servings of fresh veggies and fruits in your diet every single day and a cup of berries. And you're really well on the way there. And as I said, there's a wonderful gingery lemon green juice for you over on my website. Also, as part of all of this work on stressing less and getting more sleep, and you're thinking, "Okay, how the heck do I do that?" I've got links over in the blog for you so that you can learn about getting, you know, getting better sleep, learning about stressing less, learning about the herbs and supplements that I use in my practice and my personal life for helping with sleep and stress. And if you feel like sleep and stress are a big problem for you, my book, The Adrenal Thyroid Revolution, has your name all over it. And There's one more thing that I want to mention. If you take it regularly, you want to find really good alternatives to Tylenol because Tylenol rapidly eats up something called glutathione, which I'm going to talk with you about in just a minute. And also over uh, on the avivaram.com forward slash 104, you'll find a link to reliable alternatives to Tylenol for acute and chronic pain. So in addition to the nutrient supplements that I've already mentioned, there are a few specific nutrients that are really helpful and really known to have an impact on inflammation and oxidative stress, specifically when it comes to cervical health. So selenium is one of them. Medical studies have provided evidence of selenium supplementation in preventing cervical cancers. Low and excessively high selenium are, are both associated with increased risk of lung cancer, laryngeal cancer, and colorectal and prostate cancer. A higher level of selenium and supplementation with selenium have been shown to be associated with substantially reduced cancer mortality as long as you're not getting too much because, again, significantly higher levels, which is more likely to come from um, workplace contamination, uh, has been associated with cancers, but not so much nutritional supplementation. So supplementing is an important mineral. Selenium is an important mineral in protecting the body from oxidative stress. And it's specifically important in protecting the body from the impact of oxidative stress from heavy metals and other environmental toxins. Now, not all studies have shown a relationship between selenium and cervical cancer, but there are some that have shown an inverse relationship between serum selenium levels, so how high your blood levels are, and CIN, that cervical dysplasia that I mentioned earlier as well as women having significantly lower concentration of selenium in their cervical cells when they have cervical cancer compared to women who don't have cervical cancer. So lower selenium in the cervical cells is associated with a higher risk of actually having cervical cancer. And interestingly, selenium has been shown to be protective in former smokers. Now, one study uh, in which 58 women who had biopsy-proven CIN1, so they had mild cervical changes, were randomized to take 200 micrograms of selenium a day or placebo for six months. And the selenium group had regression of their CIN1 compared to the placebo group. Now, over on my website, I share with you a very comprehensive list of foods that are high in selenium. At the top of the list, you're going to see Brazil nuts, and that's about an ounce of Brazil nuts. It has about 544 micrograms of selenium. That is way too much to get. So one or two Brazil nuts a day is thought to have about the amount of selenium you would need for a daily supplement. However, it's not reliable because you can't have consistency between one batch of Brazil nuts and the other batch of Brazil nuts. So I don't recommend relying on Brazil nuts alone for your selenium. The other foods on the list you'll see, like tuna, which is has some risk because of mercury, uh, sardines, which are a great nutrient because they're also high in essential fatty acids, those have much lower selenium. So what I recommend is if you're going to have a couple of Brazil nuts a day, that's fine. But since you could be getting too much selenium, don't supplement with selenium, just get a diet rich in selenium. But if you already have cervical changes, um, or you have a history of cervical changes, have the Brazil nuts, you know, just once in a blue moon, because you want to have a couple of Brazil nuts and you like them, eat the selenium rich foods in your diet, but go ahead and take the 200 micrograms a day of selenium as a supplement. So it's kind of either the Brazil nuts or the selenium supplement, but I don't find the Brazil nuts reliable, so only just use them as an enjoyable food periodically. All right, let's talk about another nutrient that you might not have heard of, and this is called glutathione. Glutathione is a naturally occurring combination of three amino acids, cysteine, glutamic acid, and glycine. And almost all of the tissues in our body contain this combination and contain glutathione. It acts as one of the most important antioxidants we have in our body, scavenging those free radicals and neutralizing them, and it acts as a detoxifying agent, which is really important in liver detoxification of hormones and many medications, including Tylenol, which I mentioned earlier, eats up glutathione, and also in protecting us against the impact, the oxidative stress from environmental toxins. Glutathione not only helps protect from cell damage, but it helps to repair cell damage. And when the body is under a lot of cellular stress from any of the things I've talked about, high inflammation, toxin exposure, using Tylenol on a regular basis, etc., our demand for glutathione goes up and we burn it more quickly than what our body naturally produces each day from the proteins in our diet. Studies have demonstrated low glutathione levels in women with cervical cellular changes. Additionally, glutathione levels in the blood were significantly increased in people who get higher folate in their diet. So folate is one of the ways that you can actually improve your body's natural glutathione production. Now, glutathione can be taken directly as a supplement, but it doesn't absorb very well. So instead, it's better to use supplements that your body can use to make glutathione. And the best of these is something called NAC or N-acetylcysteine. And it's a supplement of the naturally occurring amino acid cysteine. So in my practice for women with cervical changes or persistent HPV, I recommend that they take NAC- 300 to 900 milligrams three times a day. That's the standard dose. And I would base that on whether you have just some very mild cervical changes or you've had cervical changes in the past and you want to just use something protective on a daily basis. But if you have more significant cervical changes or you just want to take the higher dose, this is a very safe supplement to take, then you can take it at the 900 milligrams three times a day. Now, um, Selenium, you can take up to 200 micrograms a day while you're pregnant. The NAC, um, the data is not really strong on the safety of taking it daily during pregnancy. So I don't recommend usually usually using that one as a prenatal supplement if you've had cervical changes during your pregnancy uh, or leading into your pregnancy and you went into pregnancy with those cervical changes. The next one that I guess you could call it a nutrient uh, because we're talking about an extract from it, but is green tea. Research shows that green tea extract and something called e, uh, EGCG, which is the epigallocatechins, which is an anti. Oxidant component of green tea, can inhibit the proteins and genetic changes that HPV causes in cervical cells. And those are the changes that lead to cervical cancer. You can't have cervical cancer without HPV causing changes. And I talk about that in the previous episodes of Natural MD Radio, episodes 102 and 103. The constituents in green tea are called catechins, and they're also antiviral. They prevent proliferation of cancer cells, and they support the immune system. Several studies have shown that topically green tea extracts with these EGCGs can clear genital warts due to HPV. And in fact, it's so effective that pharmaceutical development of these products is being explored. Now, there's less data on the impact of the strains of HPV that cause cervical cell changes, which are different than the ones that cause The HPV that causes warts. But the data is so strong for the other strains of HPV that I personally feel in my practice it's worthwhile to include a green tea extract supplement as part of a cervical changes protocol, especially for women with persistent HPV. So in my practice, it's something I do. Now, a question you might have is can't you just drink green tea? Well, you can drink green tea, and green tea is very healthy and Protective, but you wouldn't get enough of these concentrated catechins to give you what you need if you really have cervical changes. So, in my practice, I use a product that's standardized to contain 500 milligrams of ECGC daily and really urge you not to exceed that dose because, at a higher dose, there can be some increased risk of um, some harmful effects. But at that dose, very, very safe. But again, not for use in pregnancy. But think about that one, particularly with HPV. Now, another supplement that no doubt you've heard of if you're paying attention to the natural medicines world at all, because it's sort of the, no pun intended, golden child right now, is curcumin, which has a golden color and you see in products usually called golden milk. Curcumin is an extract of the herb turmeric, which has been used for thousands of years for its healthful properties. Curcumin itself has been shown in oral doses to have anti-cancer activity and cause pre-mal has caused regression of pre-malignant lesions in in a lot of different tissues in the body, including the cervix. Several studies have demonstrated that curcumin treatment alters HPV-associated molecular pathways in cancer cells and suppresses cervical cancer growth. In one study, 287 women with HPV were randomized into four groups to be treated with a vaginal cream actually containing curcumin extract. After 30 days of consecutive application with an applicator, the women using this cream actually demonstrated the highest rate of HPV clearance, 87.7% compared to the control groups of 73.3%. So in my practice, I use curcumin orally because it helps to increase glutathione, it supports detoxification, and it can help block HPV's impact on the cervix, which is so important. Now, to use curcumin as a supplement, you can use it in a couple of different ways. One, there is a patented combination of curcumin and soy lecithin called Meriva. Meriva itself is not the product, but a lot of the curcumin products on the market use Meriva as their curcumin ingredient, and you take that 500 milligrams twice a day. Another product is curcumin with something called piperine, which is an extract of black pepper. These combinations make curcumin more bioavailable, more absorbable. And if you use that product, you take 500 milligrams of the curcumin with 20 milligrams of the piperine three times a day. Any of the products that you purchase will give you the right dosing. And again, remember, if you've just tuned in, all of this information is oh, is written out for you in a blog form over at my website at avivaram.com uh, forward slash 104 for this episode. Now, there's some research on um, two different broccoli extracts, one called DIM or DIM and one called I3C or Indol 3 carbinol I'm not going to review all the data with you because it's... It's a little bit inconclusive, and I, I list it all out for you over at my website. So, in case you want to explore it and use it, and I, I do sometimes use it in my practice protocols, but the reality is is that the data shows that even though there are benefits in women who use it, um, the benefits are equal to placebo. And so what that really tells me is that if you wait long enough, these cervical changes will often clear on their own. And the DIM and the I3C products didn't really help more than placebo. So, you know, if it adds some more confidence, um, getting these broccoli extracts in your diet, uh, in your uh, supplements um, can really help support your overall body's natural detoxification processes, but, you know, supplements can add up and get expensive. So I would lean toward the ones that I've already shared with you that have more data behind them. So the last area to focus on as far as the four roots, oh, sorry, One. the next to the last area is the vaginal microbiome. Bacteria are increasingly recognized as one of the most important players in the initiation and progression of numerous different malignancies. Colorectal cancer is probably where we have the strongest data at this point. but there's even evidence for what's going on in the gut microbiome influencing at a distance what's going on in the breast microbiome. Believe it or not, your inside your breast has its own microbiome, and communication between the gut microbiome and the breast microbiome being uh, uh, playing a role in even breast cancer It's really fascinating. Evidence strongly suggests that the vaginal microbiome plays a significant role in the persistence or the regression of HPV infection. Vaginal microbial diversity, so having a wide diverse richness of the organisms that are in your vagina, have an important impact on whether HPV can proliferate or whether it's going to get nipped in the bud by the other healthy organisms that crowd it out. There's also been evidence showing that there's a relationship between how healthy your vaginal flora is with whether cervical changes progress in severity. And increasing disease severity um, has been found in one study to be associated with um, lower levels of the presence of lactobacillus species, which for most women um, has a relationship, or for many women, has a relationship to healthy vaginal flora. So beneficial vaginal microorganisms, which are part of the entire vaginal microbiome, especially lactobacillus, are thought to defend against harmful organisms as well as sexually transmitted infections by creating a pH that's hostile to these foreign organisms, producing species-species metabolites, which actually disrupt the organisms. And they also Um, are important for maintaining the diversity that literally actually fights these foreign invading organisms. Now, over in um, my blog on restoring a healthy vaginal microbiome, I give you an entire plan for how to identify whether your vaginal microbiome is disrupted. And almost by definition, if you have HPV or you have cervical changes, that means you have a disrupted vaginal microbiome. But also keep in mind if you have frequent urinary tract infections, if you have a history of BV, bacterial vaginosis, those also suggest problems with the diversity of your microbiome. There are three specific organisms that have been shown as probiotics, whether taken orally or used vaginally as a suppository to be health- helpful in in restoring the vaginal flora. And those are lactobacillus rhamnosus, lactobacillus reuteri, and lactobacillus crispatus. Again, you don't have to remember those. They're written down for you. And I've given you a link over to my article on restoring a healthy vaginal microbiome right here in this um, corresponding blog to this podcast. So you don't have to do the work of figuring out where on my website all this information is. Finally, stress has an enormous impact on immune function. So stress reduction and self-care are really important parts of any plan to reduce inflammation and improve your body's immunity. Adaptogens can be considered along with lifestyle approaches like meditation, yoga, spending time in nature, getting more sleep to reduce stress. Now, one of my favorite adaptogens for immune health is turkey tail, And the dose for that is 3,000 milligrams a day. There are a number of supplement companies that provide turkey tail. And I'll tell you more in a minute about how to get supplements if you're wanting to do that. And I don't make a penny off it, so... You know, hang in there for that. Don't let that turn you off thinking I'm about to sell you something because I'm not. So turkey tail is great for immune support. It's not so much for stress reduction. Other adaptogens like ashwagandha, rhodiola, and holy basil, for example, are really great for stress reduction and immunity. So if stress feels like a big picture of what's going on for you or lack sleep, I recommend adding in all, you know, some of those other adaptogens, but also the turkey tail for immune support. There are some additional herbs that I often include in my HPV protocols, like St. John's wort and lemon balm, usually in tincture form. Studies don't show a direct correlation between those herbs and HPV, but they are historically used by herbalists like me for their antiviral activity, and they do have known action against HSV, which is the herpes virus, and they're so supportive for the nervous system. So many studies support the use of St. John's wort for depression and anxiety. for example. So if depression and anxiety feel like a part of the picture for you, and that may be dampening your immune system, that's a great time to think about using the adaptogens, St. John's Wort, anxiety, and certainly the adaptogens if stress or lack of sleep is a big part of it. So over on my website, I give you what I call cervical health supplement list at a glance. And it summarizes just in one place the supplements and the doses that I've talked about. I recommend to my patients that they follow this protocol and, you know, do as much of it as you feel like you can and can afford for three to 12 months. Of course, while continuing with the recommended pap smears and appropriate evaluations. So let's say you had a pap smear six months ago and now it's six, you're due for another one in six months to follow up on whether it was normal or you had HPV. Don't do this protocol for 12 months and put off that that PAP, go ahead and get it and get the HPV at the time that it's supposed to be scheduled per your last one. But you can do this protocol along the way. And I've seen cervical changes happen. Statistically it's about six to eight months just if you let it go on its own. But I've seen dramatic cervical changes just experimentally repeating PAPs and HPVs as I was, you know, trying this protocol or in or in women who are particularly anxious to get retested because they're trying to get pregnant in as short as three months, so it can really happen that quickly. There are um, a couple of wellness trends that are really important to avoid, and that includes escharotic treatments, which can do more damage to the cervix than it's worth, and that's even when it's under the care of an experienced naturopath I really or MD. I really say do not ever do escharotics. And thusia, which is A very powerful antiviral, also shown to be powerful against HPV virus, but even absorbed systemically in a small amount can be toxic and absolutely toxic if you're um, pregnant. Toxic for the baby, so I avoid those completely. Now, my patient Katie, like so many of my patients, was thrilled with her results. In six months, she was HPV free with a normal pap smear, and she's remained that way for years now several years. And I can delightedly share that she did actually conceive a baby within just a few months of the all clear on her cervical health and had a beautiful pregnancy and birth. So, I said I would tell you about supplements and where to get them. So many women feel overwhelmed and frustrated by the healthcare system and confused by what supplements to choose from. So you're in a rock and a hard place. It's like, I don't wanna take the pharmaceuticals. If I don't need them, I wanna use supplements. But when I walk into Whole Foods or a supplement store, I am completely overwhelmed and I get it. It's there are so many of them and they can be really expensive. So one of the common questions I get from readers is which supplements do I think are the best and where do I get mine? And I totally get it. You want access to really good health at a price that you can live with. And I also want to make sure that you're getting access to products that you can rely on. But as a doctor... I'm not comfortable selling supplements to you. I want you to know that when you come to me for information, there's no slippery secret sale going on behind it where I'm making bank off of what you're buying. You know, I I, I I I say that sometimes people have a motto secretly of your health is my wealth. I don't do that motto. Like your health is your wealth, and that's what's really important here. So I want you to know that when I share information and tell you about supplements, I'm not profiting off of that. So what I did was I created a relationship with an online distributor that works with medical practitioners like me so that our patients can get supplements. And all of my patients get their supplements at a 20% discount. And you, by virtue of just hanging out, at, you know in my community now, I can extend that same discount to you. The company that I work with allows me then a 15% kickback on that discount. So in order to not take that discount, that difference, 100% every penny, goes toward supporting organizations and women who are doing work in the uh, in uh, maternal health, preventing maternal mortality, In the United States and in developing countries, particularly amongst women of color, where the maternal mortality rate is the highest. So this is a huge issue that, you know, as a midwife, I am really getting behind trying to make a change in. And so I like to say that your difference, that difference in supplements that you buy, Makes the difference for other women and it really does. And even just in um, 2019, which was uh, uh, 2018, the first year we did this, we were able to give away $30,000. So you participated in that. So you can get your supplements anywhere you want to, but if you want to be part of getting them, you know, look at the supplements that I'm using in my practice and in my family and personal life and for friends. You can do it by just going either to the website and you'll see under more for you, there's a drop down. You'll see something that says supplements. And Or you can go to the blog that corresponds with this podcast and just go to see where it says not sure where to get supplements. You'll see a link and you'll get a link over to the page. I'm not selling the supplements directly. I'm just linking you over to an online store that does that. Now, I will give you um, a shameless pitch. If you are a woman health practitioner or you're a woman yourself who wants to learn more about natural medicine, this is where I do make my living. It's through when I, you know, I provide tons of information for free. This podcast is not sponsored. I pay for it out of pocket because I want you to have the information that can take, help you take back your health. But for those of you who want to go to the next level to learn to be herbalists, or if you're licensed or certified health practitioners who want to do integrative functional medicine at a, a next level in your practice, there are some resources you can do. And right now, um, if you're listening in real time in um, late June, early July of 2019 my herbal medicine for women course is on a special sale that course has rolling admissions you can purchase that course anytime but right now if you purchase it through July 5th you get 30% off if you purchase as an individual or 35% off if you purchase as a group of three or more if you are a certified or licensed health professional and you want really solid next level training with immediately applicable tools to help you make your clients' or patients' lives better without having to figure it all out on your own, I have a 10-month program called the Women's Functional and Integrative Medicine Professional Training, and that is on early bird sale through the third week of July and is on uh, available for registration. It's That's a one-time-a-year registration um, through September 14th of 2019. So um, you know, I would love to have your participation in those if you want to. And again, the links for those are over at um, this blog and you can find them under courses at my website. So if this has been helpful, I would really be so grateful if you would put a comment over on iTunes or wherever you listen and share it with women that you feel would be uh, beneficial to have this information because that's how we get this information out to more and more women. And we all know in this day and time, more than ever, women need to be able to feel like they can take their health back into their own hands. And I am so glad, thank you so much for joining with me today and listening, and I will see you next week on Natural MD Radio. I have some really special episodes coming up, including one with one of the world's leading microbiome experts talking on about what we know about the gut microbiome and probiotics, and a new feature that I'm going to be doing where I get so many emails from you guys with health questions and personal questions, and sometimes there is a, a thread where many of you are asking me about the same thing. So one of the big threads that's coming up right now is with the changes in Religious exemption for vaccinations in New York State. I've gotten probably 15 emails just this week from concerned parents who are wanting to know about catch up vaccines and what to do. I'm going to talk with you about that to answer some of those questions. So make sure to, you know, join me over at my website. Uh, If you have a question, feel free to email it to me. You'll find the contact information. I don't give direct personal health information either through Natural MD Radio in addressing those questions or answer them. And I can't answer all the questions that come in, but you know, if you do send a question, there's a chance that it might get answered um, with information on the podcast. So thank you again so much, and I'll see you next time on Natural MD Radio.